following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning. It's great to be back with you after being out for a week fighting through COVID. Thank you for your prayers. And thankfully, I had a relatively mild case. It was also fantastic to be back last week and to see what was happening here on campus with VBS. I want to add my uh, words just of thanks to those of you, 200 of you that showed up to serve uh, those kids, those families last week at IBC. So can we just say thank you to all those volunteers once again? Yes. I'm so glad that you are here, but I wonder if any of us that are here that are part of this gathering or that are joining us online this morning, if we ever really stop to think, what are we doing here, right? What are we doing when we gather here for worship? Because I think that for a lot of us, we're just so familiar with this. This is just sort of what we do that we don't really stop to think very often about what it is that we do, why we do what we do when we gather here for worship, some of you maybe are newer to this, and so you feel it every week. That This is still just a little odd for you. There's something here that keeps you coming back, but maybe you find yourself wondering, why is it that we do what we do? I mean, think about it, everybody. Um, there are very few places in your life where you show up with a bunch of other people and you sing together in unison. It's kind of odd. Right? Very few other places in your life that, that you show up and you sit and you listen while somebody spends half an hour up here talking to you. Certainly very unusual in the rest of your life when, when we open up that little packet and have a little cracker and the little thimble full of juice. That's, that's, that's kind of odd. And some of us, we forget the oddity of it because we're so familiar. Some of us feel the oddity of it, but, but do we pause and ask, why is it that we do what we do when we gather here for worship? And that's what we're going to focus on this morning as we look together at this Psalm, Psalm 100. So if you have your Bible, you have it on your device, you want to turn with me there to Psalm 100. Just five short verses that I think actually have within it a, a, a profound truth about why we do what we do when we gather for worship. And I think it's really important for us from time to time just to come back to this question, to continue to, to think about, rather than just go through the motions of what we do, to really think about why is it that we do what we do when we gather for worship. Look with me at Psalm 100. This is one of Israel's worship songs. So this is a, an expression of Israel's worship that I think also speaks to the why of our worship. Psalm 100, shout to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Here in Israel's song of worship, we are reminded of what worship is all about. And first of all, I think as you look at these little verses in Psalm 100, that we see that, that worship reminds us who God is. 
right? That part of the reason that we gather and we, we sing the songs and we hear the sermons and we partake of communion, because all these things that we do when we gather together for worship are intended to remind us who God is. We've talked before and even in this series about that little Hebrew word, the word zakar, one of the most important words for what we might call the spirituality of the Old Testament. The word zakar, which means remember. Time and time and time again, God's people are told, remember, 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 precisely because we're so prone to forget. And so we gather together collectively to remember, and to remember first who God is. That is, in fact, why we sing. Look, look what the psalmist says there in verse two. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs, right? It's a command of God to God's people to sing. It's one of the most oft-repeated commands in all the Bible. Sing, sing, sing. Why? Well, I think at least part of it is that singing has a unique capacity to really instill itself in our memory. Music has this capacity to to instill itself in our memory, to drive that concept, those ideas, and those words deep down inside of us, to inscribe truth in our memory. We sing in order to remember. you may be familiar with this phenomenon that, that, that sometimes just words to songs that just stick with you. Songs maybe you hadn't thought about in a long, long time, but they're pressed down deep in there. This happened for me this week. Um, I was driving my son Pearson and one of his friends, and I have this Spotify playlist that I sometimes play when Pearson and his buddies are in the car. It's uh, made up of uh, great uh, rock and hip hop from the 90s. Right, Because I feel it's in some sense my responsibility to pass along great music to the next generation when I have the opportunity. They're in the car. So this week, the other night, I'm driving Pearson and his buddy, and, and the song came on. It was, it was the, the classic 1991 LL Cool J hit, Mama Said Knock You Out. <laughs> and that song came on. That, that song is more than 30 years old now. And there I was singing along with every word. I think they were rather impressed with my flow. My poor kids, pray for them, please. Right, but, but here's words that I haven't heard in who knows how long, but they're pressed down in there, right? And that's oftentimes true when we gather together in worship. I have a feeling that some of you earlier heard those words, oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, and you just closed your eyes and just sang right along. Because music has this remarkable capacity to inscribe itself in our memory. And we sing to remind ourselves of who God is, to press these truths down deep within us. And look what the psalmist says is true about God. Verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is Good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We sing to remind ourselves the reality that God is good, that God is loving, and that God is faithful. 
And there's some weeks where you've just experienced that truth, right? Where you've just experienced the nearness of God, the power of God, the the faithfulness of God in your life. And there's just some sense in which it's pent up inside you that you wanna come here together and just to express that God is good, that he is loving, that he is faithful. And then there's those weeks where that doesn't come nearly as naturally to you. Can I just suggest those are the weeks that you really need to be here. Because I want you to notice something really interesting about this psalm, right? Who is the audience of the words of this psalm? Is it God? No. They're singing these words to each other. Shout to the Lord, give thanks, praise the Lord. This is the people of Israel singing these words to each other. You see, because we sometimes talk about the idea that our worship has an audience of one. It is just to God himself. And yet that's not actually true of what we see in the Psalms and and some of the songs that we sing around here. It's true that our worship has an object of one, the only one to whom our worship is due. But sometimes the audience of our worship is actually each other. We are singing to or singing over one another. One of the most powerful experiences of worship that I've ever had was in 2009, the summer of 2009 at the faculty workshop uh, uh, for Dallas Seminary. I was on the faculty there at the time. And so I'd gathered uh, out at uh, Pine Cove out in East Texas with my colleagues from the seminary. And it was just a few weeks after I had lost my sister. And one of the things that we did when we gathered there uh, for our faculty workshop is we worshiped together. And so there I was still dealing with the grief of that loss, feeling the the waves of grief just kind of washing over me, surrounded by 60 or so of my peers, my colleagues worshiping. And I just became really overwhelmed with emotion. I just couldn't quite get the words out. But in that moment, one of my colleagues noticed and she knew what had been going on with me. And so she just came right alongside me. And with one hand raised in the air, worshiping God, the other hand she just put right in the middle of my back and she just sang the truth of those words over me. And in that moment, I needed to hear her worship. I needed to be reminded that he is good, that he is loving and that he is faithful. And so, yes, sometimes we come here so that we can express that truth that's on our heart. And sometimes we need to come here to hear other people sing that truth over us. We gather for worship. We, we sing these songs. We hear these sermons. We pray these prayers. We partake of communion to be reminded the truth of who God is. I think the second thing that we see embedded in this little psalm is that that worship reminds us who we are, right? That part of the point of our gathering together, when we've been spread out in the world and and, and engaged in all kinds of, of frenetic activity in the rest of our week, that we come together to just to be reminded of the truth about who we are. I think you see this in verse three. The psalmist says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. 
So much truth captured in that tiny little phrase, we are his. And we need to be reminded regularly of the reality of our identity in him, that we are his. One of the best books that I've read over the course of the last couple of years is written by a pastor uh, from Colorado named Steve Cuss. Uh, Steve Cuss's book is called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And I got to tell you, when the book first came out and I first saw it, I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to go anywhere near it because just the title alone made me feel anxious, right? Which I think was an indication that this was precisely what I needed. That it speaks to the reality that, that when you're in leadership, there is an inevitability that the circumstances of leading leads to experiences of anxiousness. And I love the way that he captures this. He says this. He said, leadership is almost always intuitive because leadership situations are fluid and dynamic. Most of the time, we don't exactly know what to do. We end up with a gap between not knowing what to do and needing to do something. And the gap is one of the most uncomfortable places to live because the leader feels immense internal and external pressure to do something. And it's in that gap that all kinds of interesting things emerge. A bubbling cauldron of anxiety, fear, childhood trauma, the stories we tell ourselves, idols, and more. And when I first came across that, that that image of the bubbling cauldron of anxiety just spoke to me. And maybe some of you know exactly what it feels like to stir the bubbling cauldron, a racing heart, a spinning mind, a a tightening gut. And maybe for you, it's not leadership. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's aging parents. Maybe it's a complicated relationship. Maybe it's just getting through life. But you know what it feels like to stir the bubbling cauldron of anxiety. Can I just offer you what has become one of the most important spiritual practices for me in the midst of those moments? I've shared it with you before, but, but it's, I come back to it time and time and time again. It's a simple little breath prayer. The, uh, a prayer that you pray silently in the rhythm of your breathing. And it simply says, Abba, I belong to you. Father, Abba, Father, Abba, I belong to you. It's just that reminder in those moments of that I am his, that I am held, that he is with me, that he will see me through. The psalmist says, we are his. We are his people. He says, we are the sheep of his pasture. And once again, we've talked before about this idea that this metaphor of shepherd and sheep shows up all over the place in the Bible. Over 200 times, the biblical writers use this metaphor of God as shepherd and our, his people as sheep. It's one of the most pervasive metaphors in the Bible because it so powerfully conveys the reality of what the shepherd does and what the sheep do. That the shepherd cares and the sheep wander, right? Time and time again, when this imagery is used, it's, it's used to talk about the reality of God's people wandering away from him. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
And I think that we all know that experience of wandering. And some of you maybe even this week have experienced what it is to wander. And we come back to this metaphor time and time and time again because it reminds us that no amount of our wandering can ever stop his caring. And in fact, one of the most important, most beautiful teachings of Jesus is that the the good shepherd will leave the 99 to go find the one who has wandered off. And this truth that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each to their own wicked ways, that despite our wandering, Jesus was willing to come into this life, into this world, in order to find us and to rescue us. And we need to be reminded of the reality that no amount of wandering can ever affect his caring. And he will continue to come and to pursue you, to find you, to heal you, to restore you. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And we gather together for worship to sing these songs and pray these prayers, hear these sermons, partake of communion to be reminded of the truth of who we are. Worship reminds us who God is. Worship reminds us who we are. And then finally, I think that this psalm implies something about the idea that worship reminds us what we're made for. Worship reminds us what we're made for. Look back at verse one. The psalmist says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. All the earth. In that little phrase, all the earth, we see something about what we are made for. The audience here is all creation. And it reminds us first that all creation is made to worship God. That when we come together for worship, we're doing what we've been made to do, to worship together corporately, and then to be sent in the world to to live lives of worship each and every day. The great Orthodox theologian, Alexander Schmemann, and I love just saying his name, Alexander Schmemann. Schmemann says that human beings are, the little Latin phrase, homo adorans, the being that adores. That's what it means to be human. It's pointing to the reality that all of us will adore something. We will live our lives and give our lives for something or someone. We are made to worship, but we are made to worship the one true God. We find our deepest sense of of joy and satisfaction and, and peace when we do what we've been made to do. We are made to worship the one true God. And after we've lived frantic, frenetic lives all week, we come here to be reminded what we're really made for. To worship here together, to be sent to live lives of worship in our everyday experience. It reminds us that that we're made for worship. That God desires worship from all creation. And that's the second aspect of what we're made for. That we're made for mission. Because here the psalmist says, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Because all the earth is made to worship God. And yet all the earth doesn't. As one theologian put it, mission exists because worship doesn't. God desires worship from all creation. Therefore, as his people, we are called to join him in his mission. 
to join God in his mission to his world, to bring the good news of the gospel and invite people in to do what they're made to do, to worship God. And so we gather here for the sake of being sent from here to live lives of mission, inviting people to do what they've been made by God to do. So we gather for worship because worship reminds us of who God is. Worship reminds us who we are and worship reminds us what we're made for. And so the application for all of us is pretty simple and straightforward. Be here. Make corporate worship a priority in your life. In formation, we talk about the idea that corporate worship is one of the core rhythms of a missionary disciple. The disciples love God. Therefore, they gather together for worship on Sundays to be sent in the world to live lives of worship the remainder of the week. To prioritize being here expectantly. I'm so thrilled that I know that there are many who have joined us online this morning. We're glad that you are with us. You may not know, but we have almost as many every week that join us online as join us here in the room. And so we're thrilled that you're here. But as we talk about around here, online worship is a wonderful supplement to our experience of communal embodied worship together in this room. It's a wonderful supplement when you can't be here, but it's a terrible replacement for what it means for us to gather together as the people of God and worship him because you need this. You need to be here to be reminded of who God is and who you are and what you're made for. You need this, but also we need you. The rest of us need the contribution that you make to our experience as together we're reminded of who God is, as together we're reminded of who we are, as together we're reminded of what we're made for. So be here. Make corporate worship a priority in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can be here. We thank you that we can engage together this morning, that we can sing the songs and and pray the prayers and hear the sermon and in a moment partake of communion, all of which is designed to just remind us, God, of who you are, that you are good, that you are loving, that you are faithful. And God, that we can be here to be reminded who we are. We are yours, the sheep of your pasture. And God, that we can be reminded this morning together of what we're made for. We are made to worship you. And we are made to live out your mission in the world. And so God, as we prepare our hearts now for partaking of communion, we we hearken back to those words of Jesus on the night before he went to the cross when he said of this bread and this cup, take them and remember And so God, we pause now in silence just to reflect on the condition of our own hearts, to name before you this morning, Lord, anything that we need to bring to you before we come to these elements of communion.
We thank you, Father, for truth that we can hold on to, that we can cling to, that we can know down deep in our bones that you're good and you're loving, you're faithful, and that even when we have not been faithful, God, we can bring whatever that is to you, knowing that with you we will find grace, forgiveness, um, restoration, and healing. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.